0: Hello and welcome to Let's Not Do That, a podcast about microaggressions on college campuses. I am Tracy Fernandez-Rashavi. I am a lecturer in English, Creative Writing and Women and Gender Studies at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay.
1: I am Nate Ireland. I am a student at UWGB Marinette campus and I am working on my digital arts degree.
0: Our student guest host today is Onia Tao. Onia is an undergraduate student at UWGB. She's Hmong American, and her major is writing and applied arts. She enjoy, she's enjoying her first year of college and loves writing, reading, and has recently been able to publish one of her poems in the Northern Lights Journal, which is one of the literary journals on our campus. Very proud of her. <laughs> um, uh, she's looking forward to creating more writing pieces and aspires to publish one of her own works someday. So welcome, Onia. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Um, so our first segment for the day is just what we also call "Let's not do that," and we talk about things going on uh, around equity, diversity, and inclusion in the world. So, Nate, do you want to start today? What have you seen going on?
1: Yeah, sure. So my my thing is generally just um, the concept of like asking people what their background is, what their heritage is. Um, without being involved in them in like, say like a relationship or like a friendship or whatever. If it doesn't apply to you necessarily, then why would you need to know where they're from or where their, their, their ancestors are from or, you know, their, their ethnicity? Um, because it can be kind of rude to, to just walk up to somebody and say, hey, where, 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 what's your background? You know, like where, where were your, where's your family from? Um, it it can have like a mental toll on them, like saying like, like they're they're going to assume you're going to make snap judgments about them maybe, or maybe weaponize that on them. And I just think that that's not the right thing to do.
0: Or it's it's like you're not American. You're not you don't belong here, especially when it's asked, like, what are you?
1: Yes. Yeah. Or like, Like, or uh, where are you from? Right. I'm a lizard
0: person. Yeah, right.
1: Exactly.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, have you had that happen? I'm sure you have. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah. Or like when you tell them like you're you're born here, there's like a sense of disappointment with them. And it, it just doesn't make sense why they right, will be disappointed right. and born here.
0: Right. Right. Uh, an exception to that is I always tell students that my face code switches. I am half uh, hundred and half white. And wherever I am, I kind of blend. And so I get a lot of people of color asking me, what are you? Because they think I might be whatever they are often, <laughs> which which I do not take badly. I think yeah, it's kind of sweet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so, okay. I think that's, that's a good one. That's a good let's not do that. So let's not do that. <laughs> yeah,
1: let's not. Let's not. Please. Let's not.
0: <laughs> Especially the what are you I hate that Ugh. question. God. Um. Well, as an English professor, I one of my pet peeves lately is book banning just just book banning Um, of the classics in particular is just making my skin crawl. Uh, Recently, Art Spiegelman's mouse was getting challenged. And Art Spiegelman said, his book is a graphic novel with mice in place of uh, Jewish people mm-hmm. in the concentration camps in World War II. And then I believe they are cats. It's been a long time since I read this. but oh, wow. Okay. Cats as Nazis. And it was banned, you know, for depicting scenes of violence. There is uh, the aftermath of a sexual assault scene where the mouse is naked and all mice are naked. This is not a big deal. Right, right. But... But yeah, so, so this book was, was facing a challenge and Art Spiegelman actually said in an article, and I believe it was the New York Times, I guess they wanted me to write about a nicer Holocaust.
1: Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: I just, that I. It's so important that we don't forget these things. I mean, there's the old chestnut that those who ignore history are doomed to repeat it. And I believe that's so true.
1: Right, right, yeah.
0: And I mean, there are other books that are newer that are getting challenged, like Anti-Racist Baby by Abram Kendi was was getting challenged during the Ketanji Brown hearing for Supreme Court. That one, um, I went and I downloaded it just because I was curious. I wanted to be able to talk about it with some authority today. And it's just basically saying that we should talk about these issues of race with our children so that they grow up knowing what's going on and they can be anti-racist Which and is decent.
1: Perfectly reasonable.
0: Right, right. It's not like white people are bad. You know, <laughs> it really isn't. And and, um, you know, it's not the most exciting book in the world. I don't think I'd give it as a gift. You just look like a humorless pedantic right, person, right. <laughs> but sorry, Ibram Kendi. I think your work is wonderful, <laughs> but, um, but I think, you know, for parents who want to start having those conversations when their kids are small, I did with my kids and I think they're pretty decent human beings. If I oh, do yeah, say yeah. so myself, you know, they're pretty sensitive about <laughs> right. stuff and, um, yeah, that's just I. Ugh, I can't. I cannot. I cannot. <laughs> and one that really bothers me that I teach in one of my classes is um, *The Hate You Give* by Angie mm, Thomas. Yeah, it's such a beautifully written book. It is compassionate for all sides. There are good white characters. There are good cop characters. This is a book about a police shooting of um, a, a, of a young black boy, and who was grabbing a hairbrush when he was stopped and it was mistaken for a gun. And it's just a very nuanced look at this issue. I have had students who were related to cops in the room, I have had students of color, I've had students who've had strong opinions about this issue, and I have never had a student who felt unhappy or disrespected at the end. The cop's son said at the end, you know, he thanked the whole class for our understanding and kind the kindness of our discussions and said yeah, he never wow. felt like his dad was being disrespected. Um, I mean, I I think she's creating a conversation piece with sensitivity to everyone involved, even though, you know, she's got her thoughts on it, beautifully written. I think it's a, a classic, destined to be a classic and to have it taken away from students who could be learning compassion and nuance. and For
1: real, yeah. Ah, just, yeah.
0: I can't even, I have no words. I just groan. <laughs>
1: right, right.
0: I don't know, Onia, do you have any thoughts about that? I
2: definitely think it could be um, a conversation opener, especially like during the middle school period. It's it's like a very sensitive time. Like I was a student in teacher, teacher internship in sixth grade. And, you know, kids are actually very, like, very smart, even though they act like kind of weird sometimes.
1: <laughs> <Right>. And like,
2: I <laughs> had like students, you know, ask me things and then I would be a little shocked because I wouldn't know how to have that conversation with them. And I think it's really important during that time to have a conversation with them because they don't realize the things they're seeing could lead to bigger issues and they should be addressed right away. So they know that and they like learn about it.
1: Right, exactly. Like when you when you talk to young, young people about stuff and put it in a light that spins it positively, you can teach them a lot without them, you know, having a preconceived notion about it.
0: Yeah, and I think that positive spin is important. I do think that some of this anxiety comes from a place of vulnerability. People have been made to feel bad um, for something that may not have been their fault.
1: Oh, absolutely! Or, yeah, you
0: know, bad because they're white somehow, and so you don't want to send your school or your kid to a school where they're going to be made. You know, you're bad because you're white. But I don't know anybody who's ever had that experience. Oh, right, right. Not to say there isn't some wingnut out there doing that. But oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I, I do think there's a fear there, but I think it's way overblown, and it's much more important that we take that risk. And you know, if you are white and you go, you know, you're, you're not happy with the way a child has been made to feel bad, have a civilized calm conversation with the teacher and see if you can come come to some sort of understanding i think we're all learning about how to talk about these things absolutely just,
1: every day yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: censoring them is not the answer people <laughs> anyway um so onea you your let's not do that is the focus of our entire show here the main segment so um you and I were talking about people telling you, you don't look something, you don't look Hmong, you don't look whatever. Um, can you tell us more about that?
2: Oh, um, well, it it's always happened to me ever since, like, I was a little girl, like, I've always been, like, super tan, like, it was kind of a genetic kind of thing for my mother, and, like, people would be, like, they would look at me, they're like, oh, you're definitely your mother's kid, but, like, they're, like, you're really tan, though, and it's, like, what am i supposed to say to that so i would just like politely smile
1: <laughs> yeah right <laughs>
2: right
0: right i get like you know if i say i'm latina i get I, you don't look latina or you don't look hunter and and i my response to that is when i borrowed from a friend let's just say i yeah that's because i left my fruit hat at home
1: <laughs> wow which,
0: which yeah they usually end up just going Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> and then that, ends that. how do you respond when that happens
2: um I'm still learning how to properly respond instead of just politely smile. But if I had an answer, I would say, Well, I am monk, or normally I just speak in my native tongue, and mm. they would just like get shocked. And I'm like, Yeah,
1: there you go. Yeah, I'm <laughs>
2: <all."> <laughs> And then they're wondering, What did you say? And did you say they were
0: an idiot? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um so how does it feel to you like what what is your reaction what why is that not a nice thing to hear
2: I felt like um my first reaction was always like being sh- like being in shock and then just like shutting down for the day because it just really affected me and like it's just like the one thought that would just consume my entire like day and it just annoyed the heck out of me that like that one word would just That just like that one sentence would affect me, and it just like annoyed me, until I was able to turn like to make it into a positive, you know, saying and like, well, I'm probably unique then. So yeah, yeah, absolutely,
1: (laughs) right. Well,
2: what am I supposed to do about that?
0: (laughs) Right, right. And you don't, you know, you you identify strongly with a community. You don't want to be told you look like an outsider. You look like you Mm -hmm. don't belong. That is kind of painful to hear.
1: Yeah. So like from a classroom perspective, um, have you ever, have you ever encountered that? Like, like as a student um, told that to you, has a teacher even told that to you?
2: A teacher has never told me anything, which is good. (laughs) Um, It never really happened within my peers, but it was more with older people and like guys when I was in high school, Mm -hmm. like they would look at me. They're like, "Oh, you're a monk." Like once they found out I was monk, they're like, "Oh, interesting." And they would look at me, kind of like as a fetish, hmm. and it was ah, kind of yeah. it was weird for me. And I was like, "Oh, okay." Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't really know how to, you know, react to that. But luckily, none of them approached me. <laughs>
1: oh there you go, right.
0: Gosh, are you comfortable talking a little bit about that? Because I think that is a problem. I had a friend, a friend from China that I worked in a bookstore with, or she was Chinese American. Her mother was from China, excuse me. And, um, you know, we would get creepers in the bookstore who were, -hmm. who would make it clear that they were interested in her because she was Chinese American. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that fetishization, like, how can you tell that someone's just not maybe being benignly flirtatious?
2: It's just when they stare at you, like Mm -hmm. at a weird in a weird way it's just like Mm
0: -hmm.
2: maybe just because I'm a woman and like I just know that they just Mm -hmm. they have like weird intentions or like they just come like abnormally really close to you for no reason and I'm just like standing there and then I was just like I'll quickly go away (laughs) oh Oh, that's awful yeah don't do that (laughs) um uh,
0: so did it affect you in school at all did it make it difficult to take classes with those people or
2: um well they were normally upperclassmen so luckily I never really interacted with them Mm -hmm. but with my peers you know they never really said anything like when I had I was hanging out with my friends or when I first met them you know it was different with girls they were like oh your mom that's cool you know they they never discriminated me right so yeah I really it was like easier for me to just befriend girls than guys hmm. oh that's unfortunate
1: have have a, like whenever you've had this happen to you was it ever in front of like say a professor or a teacher
2: um it's never happened to me in front of a teacher before but I've, I did and you know I've had guys comment like weird things to me they're like oh well your hair looks weird or it's just like guys being guys mm-hmm. and i don't know it was just it was just i don't know i
1: just did react of, to them in front of a teacher you mean
2: well it never really happened in front of, of a teacher before but you know you know like when i would just like be sitting by myself they would just yeah looks...
1: yeah weird mm-hmm. uh, like uh, if that ever did happen in front of a teacher, would you want them to step in and, and say, like, hey, this is don't don't do that?
2: Um, <laughs> honestly. I don't want them to. I would kind of I think I would want to stand up for myself. I think it, right, would, right. it would be yeah. it would be a learning opportunity for me to gain more self-confidence. So so give you
0: the opportunity to respond first. Mm-hmm. If if you were talking to teachers or professors and maybe it's a different person who's not ready to stand
2: up, um,
0: would you want them to step in for that person?
2: I think it would be the right thing for them to do as a teacher because if you don't, it just really destroys your credibility as a teacher because you know a lot of teachers always tell you that if you need help, you know, come to me. If you need, you know, anything, talk to me. But if you can kind of just stand there, it's just like, are you really dependable as a teacher or as an adult?
0: Yeah, it's really important to to prepare for these kind of moments and to see what you would say in, in those kind of moments. So it's just so helpful to talk to students like you. I think that helps um, teachers and professors think about, well, how should I be in that moment if that happens in my classroom, because um, it can feel so isolating, especially at a predominantly white university like UWGB. If you're the only person of color in the classroom, I it can feel so isolating mm-hmm. to have something like that happen. But but you've had good luck so far, right? Or yep. no? Okay, <laughs> yeah, good luck. <laughs> okay, because you said that when we were doing our preliminary discussion. Like, well, I guess something terrible could have happened between now and then, but I'm glad it didn't. <laughs> So um, yeah, going back to the whole, like you don't look X or you don't look Y thing. um, You know, we always say that impact matters more than intention, but do you think people, like what is their intention when they're not being a a fetishizing creeper? What do you think is their intention when they ask you? And and what should, I mean, what is to be done about that, if anything?
2: I feel like their intention is, I don't know, to do just satisfy their own curiosity. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, people do it for unintentionally not knowing that the what they're asking you is hurting you. And they're just wanting to know. They're like, oh, you're among what well, I'm among too. Now nah, let's like, you know, let's like talk. Yeah, but yeah. it's just like, you know, you don't have to ask me. You know, just talk to me normally and just you know, communicate with me.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that when you get to know someone that that comes out eventually.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Like I was saying in the, the let's not do that segment, like it's, it doesn't pertain to you until you have a relationship with this mm-hmm. person to some degree, you know, like it, it it's, it's something that is a part of a person. So they shouldn't, it shouldn't be taken at face value, you know, mm-hmm. it shouldn't be used as like a, just like a little fun fact, it's like yeah. like no, that's that that's that person
0: exactly. And I think it's so you know, it, even if your intention is good, even if you're just trying to make conversation or you know, my cousin is Hmong or whatever, um, you you should know that it's just not super polite. That it can be hurtful. That it can mm-hmm. be taken as as ostracizing or pushing someone, labeling them an outsider. And so it's just better to not even if your intentions are good. It's just manners, basically.
1: So. You have a bit to say about, quote, colorism in the Hmong community, um, which happens in other communities of color as well. Can you tell our listeners what that means and why it's a problem?
2: Um, colorism is such a big issue in the Hmong community and, like, a lot of other communities. And I feel like a lot of them, a lot of people don't realize, like, how much it, w- it can affect a person's like mental health and self-esteem and I just feel like colorism isn't held at the same standard to men as women not saying that it doesn't happen to men but it's more predominant to see it happen to like a girl like an elder walking up to you or like an older person walking up to you and be like you know there's some whitening skin creams that like you can use you know oh no yes and it's like you know they'll ask you like are you sure like you know you want to look tan like not looking tan is beautiful and it's just like a lot to say or like they make up nicknames like for me like it's not like really nice but they will call me like an Indian girl or like Mexican and it's like that you know that's not what I am so it's like why would you say that and it's just like yeah it's like it's just not a nice nickname and like I feel like whiteness is like globally marketed in a way and it doesn't help that like, you know, the beauty standard as well. Like if you're not really white, you're not really that pretty or like, you know, there was some backhanded like things being said like, oh, well you're pretty for, you know, for a Hmong girl or you're pretty, you know, for a Mexican girl. And it's just like, what is that supposed to mean in a way? And I also, yeah, and I also feel like, um, you know, ever since I was little, I've seen, like, whitening creams and, like, videos and, like, ads, and when I was a child, like, I didn't really comprehend it, but looking back at it now, like, it doesn't make sense to me how a girl, like, she has, like, dark skin, and then she just uses this face wash, and then she's, like, magically, like, white, and ev- right. all, like everyone wants her, and, like, all the guys want her, and, like, she's, like, the it girl, and it just never... Really made sense to me, and on top of that, I feel like a lot of whitening creams—they're very like upfront with their brand names. They're like, oh well, white and beautiful, or like fair and lovely, mm-hmm. and then yeah, and then the not realizing that in those whitening creams there's like toxic chemicals that like help whiten those creams, They'll help whiten your skin, and they're not really good for your skin. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I can't. I. I can't even imagine what it is that could turn your skin a different color that oh, yeah, would be good absolutely. for you or natural for oh, sure. I mean, sometimes people have a need for it for scarring or, or whatever, but but yeah, you'd have to sort of bathe in it if you were trying to be lighter and why would you? But I know my I have gotten that from family members too. I have one who if you you know, if someone did something dumb, she would say, he's an Indian. I'm like, we are mostly indigenous in Honduran, you know, we can actually trace back to the tribe. So why
2: is that bad? I just feel like um, with colorism as well, it feels like it dates back to like, you know, a long time period, especially in the Asian culture, like, it was due to classism. Like Mm -hmm. if you were poor and tan, you worked in the fields. If you had pale skin, then you were probably rich. And it's just, I feel like they should just destroy that concept completely because either way, it does not matter if you have tan skin or white skin, you're still a human being. (laughs) And like, you should just consider your words, I guess, carefully.
0: Mhm. Yeah, have you ever had that conversation with uh, your your family members or elders in your community or did, is that kind of um
2: terrifying? <laughs> I feel like it's still an untouch, an an untouched topic. I always talk about it with, you know, my sister and my my best friend because they're the only people that kind of like open-minded to it and like that's the only people I've ever talked to it but like I wish I could have an open conversation with an elder or like older people in my community I feel like I would just be talking to a wall so
1: right (laughs) right, yeah I mean when they're raised in that belief for their entire lives and when they're they have had no opposition to that until Mm -hmm. they've like someone comes to them with this like (laughs) you know this revolutionary idea that maybe we shouldn't judge people by how they look naturally you know it's it's like some sort of revelation to them Mm -hmm.
0: yeah it's 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 uncomfortable to talk about those things. I was able to talk with my family member about that because, you know, we just have that kind of casual relationship. But I can understand, like maybe a grandmother or something, I would, I would, maybe let it go more, be more inclined to let it go. And I'm not saying that as advice. I'm just saying this is the dynamic in yeah, my family. Yeah, right. Yeah, so completely understand that. But um, and it's funny because then you have blonde pale people who are outside tanning or going to tanning beds wanting to be darker. So what? <laughs> yeah,
1: right. Like where does it where does it end? You know, like right. what people can't embrace their natural, their natural look. It's it's yeah. sad, you know?
0: Well and I think part of that is just the the media has the media, underscored yeah. a white beauty standard. So Onia, do you have any advice for uh professors or for fellow students when it comes to navigating some of these issues other than what you've already told us
2: my advice would be just to look at a person with a blank slate just talk to them they're not you know what who they are what they are where they are or where they come from just just talk to them they're like a human being like you are they're another person with feelings you know they have thoughts just communicate
1: <laughs> right right yeah. yeah believe it or not communication helps a lot <laughs>
2: <laughs> and
0: eventually your answer, your questions will be answered if you get to know yeah, somebody they'll yeah, just volunteer absolutely. this information or it'll come out and yeah you don't have to be prying about personal things right away
1: because <laughs> <laughs> believe it or not you don't have to know the, these things about people it doesn't it doesn't impact your life until it you know yeah until you're 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 friends with them until you know them
0: Right, right. I mean, students volunteer this stuff all the time. Once we get, they get comfortable and I never ask them. They just, they just tell me eventually, or they tell the class during a conversation. And that's how we find out because we've gotten comfortable with each other. Yeah.
1: And I mean, when, when you get comfortable like that, it gives them an opportunity to feel empowered in that, in in their Mm -hmm. ethnicity, in their, in their background, instead of feeling like it's being weaponized against them or being used to scrutinize them.
0: Yeah. You, you reveal that personal information on your own terms.
1: Yes, absolutely. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. So should we move on to our last segment
1: yeah absolutely um we have uh we have a one good thing that we'd like to discuss um mine i i thought was pretty cool um it's a cnbc article called how a mindfulness coach with a harvard mba recommends dealing with microaggressions at work and it discusses how um a uh a microaggression can can kind of cause people obviously to to feel more stressed in work environments or or school environments, of course. Um, and her name is Z Clark. Um, she's a Harvard MBA, as I said, who transitioned from managing teams at Fortune 500 companies to being a mindfulness and breathwork instructor. After experiencing the adverse physical and mental effects of workplace microaggressions firsthand, Clark started her journey to find healing. She says the meetings and people would just completely ignore her comments as a, as a black woman And then a white colleague might say the exact same thing and get praised. And it started to affect her physical and emotional health. So she recommends um, that Black people or people of color experiencing work stress, discrimination, and or burnout practice mindfulness, which she describes as observing how you're feeling and also what is happening around you. She uses the acronym RAIN to remain self-aware in these situations. The R is for recognizing how you're feeling. If you're angry, recognize it's okay to be mad. A is for allowing it to be there, the opposite of sweeping it under the rug. I is for investigating. What are you experiencing right now? And what do you need to feel better? And the N is for nurture, doing something about it. She also urges people of color to practice breathing techniques, which can help release anger and reduce anxiety. These techniques can be a quick solution when you're in a setting where you can't necessarily step away to gather yourself. Clark has two breathing techniques that she does when she's in the moment, belly breaths and 478 breathing. Belly breaths stimulate your parasympathetic nervous system, which is responsible for the body's rest and digestion response when the body is relaxed, resting or feeding. Inhale and allow your belly to expand like a balloon and then exhale and let that belly come towards your spine. This is what triggers the parasympathetic nervous system and is a quick response for when you notice yourself to be triggered. According to Healthline, 478 breathing helps bring the body back to balance and regulate the fight or flight response we feel when we're stressed. Anxiety can be very debilitating debilitating says Clark 478 breathing which is when you exhale for a count or inhale for a count of 4 you hold for a count of 7 and you exhale for a count of 8 is amazing for anxiety and insomnia. So I just think that, she's, that that's really cool that she's using using her background to help people with their stress in work environments and school environments and that it's it's really nice that that mindfulness can kind of kind of ease that, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Sometimes it's really tempting to just put a metal bucket on someone's head and clang it with a spoon, but (laughs) I would say four, seven, eight breathing would be much better way to avoid a visit to HR. Right.
1: Right. I mean, even just sitting like normally, like when you're doing nothing, like mindfulness is a very, very nice approach to, to approaching anything. And it's, it's really cool that you can kind of approach it with in this sort of light too, where if you're facing discrimination or like we said, microaggressions, it's, it's a nice tactic to kind of kind of de-escalate your 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 own feelings and make yourself kind of feel better in the moment before maybe facing something.
0: Oh uh, you said in the past that sometimes when people say something that's awkward like that, that you'll, you know, that's a microaggression, you'll just stare at them until they stop. <laughs> um, are you doing deep breathing when you do that?
2: Um, I'm just thinking about <laughs> i'm probably just swearing in my head like damn they're, <laughs> they're so dumb or like <laughs> now i have like actually i i went to five and below i bought squishy balls and actually they're so helpful now and i always like carry one and i always just squeeze it when i feel a little stressed yeah, so. Like, nice. so like a
1: stress ball kind of thing yeah yeah, yeah. awesome awesome oh, yeah
2: that's great I, I i do yoga
0: and that really helps yeah you know, yoga you the deep breathing in there too not that you can just go drop your like out Yeah, dog. right. <laughs> Somebody says <laughs> something terrible, but that's tempting sometimes I used to have a co-worker who would do the happy baby pose that you lay on your back and you grab your feet and he just roll around <laughs> in the middle of meetings it was the that's most awesome uh, it, was, it was it was definitely quirky for sure <laughs> so my my one good thing is uh much more frivolous I mean you talked about a gay pirate show last time and now yeah. you pull out this like academic lovely <laughs> educated thing and I'm like oh let's talk about Bridgerton I like
1: to flip flop. oh Bridgerton but, yeah. we're talking about okay we're yeah. talking about
0: Bridgerton so I Um, I've just been reading up on thoughts about the colorblind casting, and I have to say, I'm not an expert. I don't. It's a little more of a mealy mouthed One good thing, I think, because there are people who have said that the colorblind casting in shows like Bridgerton or PBS's Sanditon, where they are casting um, people of color and lead roles in these period dramas, um, you know, Dr. Kristen Warner said it allows producers to devote less time to developing meaningful cultural and historical differences of these bodies and its surface level representation. It's an important conversation to have, but on the other hand, I have loved period dramas forever. I've been watching them forever and they have been all white because yeah, you yeah. know and there were people of color in these times so maybe not as many but there were people of color who were in the nobility or you know um Jane Austen when she wrote Sanditon did have a real character named Miss Lamb coming in who was black who was an heiress so it's not impossible right um, absolutely yeah so so Queen Charlotte in um Regency England was ru- rumored to be part black. You know, they just, in Bridgerton, they made it so. But um, for me personally, it's just a pleasure to see, to be able to just kind of indulge in that fantasy because it's all fantasy. People are brushing their teeth, they're washing their clothes regularly, they're showering regularly. That is not something that happened in Regency England. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, it's, it's all fantasy. So why can't we just get... Wear the pretty dresses and enjoy yeah. this, and just indulge in this, you know, and have a um, have fun and have you know just get some pleasure out of this. Absolutely. I love seeing um, leads of color in Bridgerton and Sanditon. Yeah, and you know, Bridgerton in particular, Sanditon, I think, covers some of the issues around race a little better. But Bridgerton in particular is just that they kind of touch on it and they back off. Right, right, and honestly does everything have to be miserable you know do no ha- like yeah
1: does it have to be does there always have to be some sort of narrative about about race or about yeah. you know heritage like it's if they touch on it that's that's great you know it can be it can be used as an opportunity to to discuss that but it always it doesn't have to have like a have to be framed as an issue from from that perspective it can be like like you said why can't we just have fun yeah why
0: can't we just have you know the the pleasure of indulging in this and just relax into it you know but but again i'm not saying that dr warner is wrong that is definitely an important conversation and one i should think about too i don't know
2: do you have thoughts um, I'm I've been obsessed with Bridgerton. That's all I want to <laughs> say. <laughs> like I finished the second season in one day and I'm <laughs>
1: not ashamed
2: of it. I've just been obsessed with everything. I've I've been trying to find, I've been looking all around. Like I kind of want a Regency dress. And I've been <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, I've, yeah. I I really want to go to the Bridgerton balls and they have it in places, but they have yeah. you have to be 21 and over. And I'm only oh, 20. Oh no. Right. So, I'm really sad about
1: that. <laughs> I mean, you could always petition for some place around here to start something like that, you know.
0: Well, we do have the the Jane Austen Society has yeah. chapters, or they're called regions, all across <laughs> in every state. I got I got um, gently corrected by the president when right, I call it right. chapters, but regions. So, the Wisconsin region has three subregions: one in the Green Bay Appleton area. I'm such a nerd that I'm actually the vice president of it, but. Um, <laughs> We do have. There's an annual general meeting where we do have a regency ball, Onia. So if you would like to join, Jasna, um, it's there's a there's an inexpensive student rate, and you can get your regency dress and just come dance.
1: <laughs> I
2: will be down for that. I will okay. love that. <laughs> yes, we
0: we do not discriminate based on age, so you are welcome at twenty. <laughs> But yeah, that would be fun. I that's just me. I don't know. I maybe I have some learning to do there. I am continuing to read up about it. But again, I it just sometimes you just want to have fun right, and be yeah. part of the be part of it, you know? Yeah.
1: It doesn't have to be historically accurate to be historically entertaining. Mm-hmm. You know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. It's it's fantasy. It's a it's a right. speculative
1: world. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. So Onia, do you have a one good thing?
2: um about bridgerton (laughs) you can do it about (laughs) bridgerton you can do about anything um i don't know i don't know if anyone knows this but jonathan bailey who played um doctor who played um anthony in second season he's actually gay yes there you go yeah i i did not know that but then i know people made it a big deal they're like why is a gay man playing a straight you know, person in a, in a movie. Um, I'm like, it's because he's stupid hot. That's why.
0: <laughs> and he had incredible co- chemistry with his lead. You yeah. know, it's just ridiculous. It's called acting. Girl. Yeah,
1: believe it or not, people usually play um play characters that they aren't actually in, in, yeah. in fiction like right. that. So <laughs> who'd have thunk?
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I think I was surprised when I learned that just because he had such incredible chemistry yeah, right. with her. But other than that, you know, it's just, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs>
1: That's awesome. Yeah, thanks for sharing.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: <laughs>
0: All right. Well, that's it for this episode today. Um thank you so much for joining us, Sonia. It was fun to talk to you.
2: It was fun to talk to you guys too. And I was, I'm so thankful for this opportunity to voice my opinions. You know, I'm not really a type of person to, you know, talk. I'm always very quiet. So, I'm a, <laughs> very thankful for this opportunity.
0: Yeah, well, we were so glad to have you. It was our pleasure.